Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. I like Orange Shirt Day, it, but I don't like it because it's when you remember the people who went to residential school. And what makes you sad about it? Some people passed and their parents didn't even know and they're still looking for them. And what do you hope you'll learn today and other people will learn? That it's not nice to do what they did in the Today, Canada marks the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And this comes after a year of horrific discoveries of hundreds upon thousands of unmarked graves at residential schools across the country. We're joined today by Patricia Myron. She is a residential school survivor. She's from Long Plains First Nation. She's also been a historical researcher for 20 years today on Connections. She's going to share her story. She's going to share with us why this happened and how we could have prevented this from all happening. She'll also share with us how we can educate ourselves starting today. Today, Canada marks its first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We're joined by Patricia Myron. She's from Long Plains First Nation and has been a historical researcher for 20 years. Now, Patricia, you're also a residential school survivor. Can you share your story with us today? Okay, I, uh, I'm, I'll be 70 years, 70 years old next year. Um, I am a second generation residential school survivor. My parents went to residential school and my daughter is what you call an intergenerational uh, residential school survivor. Uh, and I'll explain that later. Um, I went uh, for my grade one. I did go to day school. I don't know whether, I don't know how old I was, five or six years old. My cousin Brenda and I, who has helping me do these, these group tours, we went to school one day and the teacher says, go home. There was nobody else attending the classes. I don't know what the circumstances were at the time. So it was day school right on Long Plain Reserve. We used to walk to school and back. And then so the following year, my, my our parents put us on a little yellow bus, big, huge yellow bus in Portage the Prairie and sent us off to the Brandon Residential School where I spent one year right in the school, living there and going to school there. For my second year, grade two, I still lived at the residential school, but I was transported by bus to a school in the city of Brandon. For my third year, they sent me and my brother, Ralph, who's two years older than me, to a foster home, they called it, in Brandon. And then the second, the, 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 the following year, I think it was a year after that, I don't recall four and five. One of those years, or both of the years, I went to live with a German family uh, by myself. My bro- I don't know where my brother went after that. I went to um, uh, residential, I, I mean, I, I, I lived with them for my grade four and five, I think. In grade six, I came to the Portage Residential School for my grade six, went to, but went to school right in the city of Portage, the Prairie. For my grade seven and half of my eight, I went to Bertle Residential School. Half of my eight, I went home. My parents took me out of the school and I went home. I don't know why they took me out, but I went home. And But for my grade nine, 10, 11, and 12, uh, grade 11 and 12, I attended the Portage Residential School. By that time, it was called the Portage Indian Student Residence. They changed the name because we just lived there. We did not go to school in there. So 
but for one year, I for my final year, I did go live in a, what they call a private home with another uh, individual from up north, from Cross Lake, I think she was from. And then, and then uh, that was that my experience with that. That was the years. That was the years that I went. So I was in a residential school twelve years of my life. Um, when I uh, left, I had a daughter in my late thirties. Her name is April. Uh, her first day of school, she went to David Livingston School. I walked her to school, and I was holding her hand, and she says to me, "Mom, I'm scared." And it was the first time that it really hit me that when I was her age, I didn't have my parents to walk me to school. I had uh, what they, my parents did was they, they put me on the bus and they did a really good job of this because they had their fears. They had their anxieties and they didn't want to let us go, but they were forced to let us go. They had no choice. And so what they did is when they put us on, they put us on that buses, they made it sure that it was no big deal. They showed us that it was no big deal. And that's how they avoid, they, that's how it was, we, we were avoided of going through all the stress and trauma of being sent, to, uh, being separated from our families. Now, that's just my story. The stories you hear from other people are horrific. Mm-hmm. I, they're kidnapped. There are so many different stories I heard. That was not, I was very lucky. That's not, that's not what happened to me. They told my parents, do not teach your children your language because it's not going to help them out there in that outside world. So my parents didn't teach us. So one of the things I, I lost my culture, my heritage, my language. I've been trying to regain it back, but it's not an easy thing when you've been subjected to church i went to every kind of church you can think of or lutheran church and except catholic thank goodness i was not in a catholic church and so i was subjected to 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 the religion all my life i learned very little um in in living in uh in the first year of uh first of two years of of uh in brandon residential school i don't know if the school is not there no more but it was located on top of a hill overlooking the city of Brandon. And every night, the supervisors, was there be a supervisor uh, uh, working one night, and she would put us all to bed, we'd get into our uh, pajamas and shut the lights off, and she'd be sitting at the doorway under a light, and she would read us a bedtime story. When the story was over, she'd leave the room, and the girls would congregate at the window because we had huge windows and uh, and they're like living room windows and they would cry every night for their parents. Um, I don't know whether I took part in that. I can't remember. I just know, I just know that this is what happened every night. Supervisors heard them, but then nobody ever came to comfort them. Um, that's what I remember about uh, Brandon. I also remember my parents used to give us brand, buy us brand new clothing. I'd have these black little shiny patented shoes. They were just beautiful. And when we got to the school, they cut your hair off. They took your clothes away from you and your shoes. And you never saw them till the end of the year when you went home. They assigned mm-hmm. you other clothing. 
You were given a number. You didn't have a name. You just had a number. We lined up for everything. We lined up to go into the bathroom, for instance. They would hold out your hand and they would give you baking soda and salt as your toothpaste, which is okay. I have beautiful teeth today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's that's like I only know I only recall bits of flashes of my experience there for my, um, for my, for the other years, um, they weren't that bad. Um, in the last couple of days, I have heard horrific stories of abuse that just, that just boggles my mind. Um, my uh, executive director, Lorraine, shared a story about the abuse her and her daughter, her sister suffered. Her sister suffered a lot of abuse. And we and, and while she was telling me the story, she, she broke down and cried. So we both had this crying session and, and we got over it. And, and Lorraine, um, uh, she was able to reconcile and heal herself through, the, through what she called forgiveness. And during those tours, during those tours um, that I, we've been conducting the last few days, I was telling the tour groups, we had little wee children about in, grade, in kindergarten and, and grade and up, to, up to high school. But so you had to sort of talk at their level that they would understand. But for the little ones, we didn't go into uh stuff like that the older ones could could understand and could handle the emotional stuff so we 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 left it out for the younger ones but for the older ones we told them you know i do i i told them my story i says i do not forgiveness is not in my vocabulary i i don't know that i will ever forgive even though i did not suffer that kind of abuse what I will not forgive is the fact that I was uh, deprived of the important years of my parents' um, uh, uh, the, the loving care that my parents would have given me. My parents and I never hugged each other. We um, never said, I love you. Because they, in turn, were residential school survivors who were told to, they, they, you, you were like, in a, it was like in an army. You didn't, you, you couldn't show your emotion. Um, so they, in turn, couldn't show their emotion to me. I can't do that today. I can do it to my daughter. She helps me through it. But uh, <laughs> that's why I cannot forgive. It's it's estimated that there were somewhere around 150,000 children uh, taken from their homes in Canada to attend those Indian residential schools. How do you think we got to that point as a nation where we thought that was okay to do? Okay, so this brings us back to the colonizers who first landed on our shores of 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 of. Uh, Canada, I guess you could call it, where they landed on the shores and they seen these native people in 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 the in the uh, uh, in the bushes, 
and said, there's nobody living here. There's just these animals and these, and these people that look like people, but they're savages. And, 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 um, there's a gentleman by the name of Rory Horkowitz that passed away last year. It's spelled R-A-R-I-H-O-K-W-A-T-S. And he was 90 years old and he is on YouTube. He has two presentations where he, where he, he's been a researcher for over 60 years. He was a researcher. He donated his funds to the University of Manitoba. And if you if you listen to his his story about how we lost our indigenous sovereignty, he 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 documents it really well in terms of the what he called the seven golden threads. That was that was like the Royal Proclamation of 1763, the 1764 Treaty of Niagara and the Wampum Treaty at the time. Then there's your number treaty in the 1870s up to 1910 then you have the then you have the 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 natural resources transfer act of 1930 then you have the um the rupert uh, 18th missed uh, 1870 rupert's land and northwest territories act then you have the canadian constitution 1982 and undrip today those seven golden threads have documentation in them that prove that we have never lost our indigenous sovereignty. When those Europeans landed on the shores of our land back then, they took that indigenous sovereignty away from our people, tricked them by ways of what they call um, certificates of possession. There's a book out called Certificates of Possession where they document the different ways Europeans came over here and took over the land by way of planting a flag, by way of planting stones, whatever way they tricked the indigenous people saying, I got to go across back to my country. Can you look after these stones for me or this flag for me sort of thing? And Rory Horkowitz document, tells about this in very good detail form in his presentation. And a lawyer asked me, Patricia, there's so many books out there about the history of our native people. Which, what book can I, can I read for me to understand this history? You don't have to read any book. I says, all you do is read Rory's. All you do is listen and learn to Rory's presentation. Plus, he has another presentation the second day about the interpretations of treaties. You listen to those two. It'll give you everything anybody needs to know about our, the history of our people. You don't have to pick up a book. Once you learn all that, everything else that you read will fall into place. You'll understand it. Everything, will, everything else, every book that you read will fill in the gaps. But, and, and Rory does a really good job of it. But also it may be at a level that some people cannot understand. He cannot in two, in two hours present every single thing that you need to know. You're going to need to know a little bit of, background information that he's talking about in order for understand what he's talking about and for me as being a historian for 20 years it took me about 10 listening to him over and over again 10 times before I was able to grasp everything he had to say even with my 20 years of land claims experience uh, that's what it took for me to understand and years ago when we did land claims a First Nation would come to us and say, hey, you know, I got this road running through my reserve. 
And can you can you can you do some research on it to see if the government has ever um, compensated us for the road or where they were supposed to build the road on there? And my boss, my the, the director used to say, "Okay, we will do a preliminary research on it, and we'll let you know if you have a claim there." Today, I can tell you by reading Rory's in from uh, his, his the history, I don't have to do a preliminary report to tell you you have a claim. Don't have to do that. I can tell you just by you asking me and giving me two sentences what it's about. So that's how far we've come. And as to your question, uh, what was the question? Uh, why? How did we get to here today? Yeah. Yeah. How did we get to Because somewhere along the line in, in, in where in 1764, King George, he said to the native people, I want to take back our relationship with indigenous people, bring back the essence of the wampum belt. And the wampum belt for people who don't know is it's a white belt with two purple stripes in it. And they're parallel stripes that never cross. And what that means in simple terms is, the one line is us Indigenous people. The other line is the non-Indigenous people. Those paths never cross. And when the, and, and that means that you will not interfere with our what we do, and we will not interfere with what you do. We will help each other along the way, but you do not interfere in our, the way we, re, we do our, conduct our way of life. That means everything, governments, how we conduct our government, how we, how we, how we, how we pray, absolutely everything. You keep you you stay away from. Uh, we will not interfere with yours. You will not interfere. That's what he reinstated. But somewhere along the line, Canada, um, there were there's so many there's so many things that happened along the way that that we lost that right for indigenous sovereignty. Today, Canada does not does not recognize our indigenous sovereignty, even though we have all the tools to fight it. Somebody's got to go out there and fight for this indigenous sovereignty. So how did we get here? If Canada had respected and our indigenous sovereignty and allowed us, our people to exercise it, we would not have, we would never have had residential schools. We would never have had, we never would have people Mi'kmaq people on the Atlantic coast fighting for their treaty rights. We wouldn't have people on the West coast fighting for their treaty rights or fighting for their right to their land. They didn't even sign treaties out there. Right. All across Canada, our people are fighting for the, for Canadians to understand that we, we are indigenous people, sovereign people who in the treaties, we never gave up our right to self-government. We never gave up our resources and we never gave up our, our indigenous sovereignty. We agreed to we agreed to to respect what the government was saying. Saying the city of Winnipeg will will abide by your rules in your in your city. We didn't say nothing that we would abide by your rules on our reserves. That's a whole new question. So that's where that 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 I am hoping that answers that particular question. That residential schools would never have happened if our Indigenous sovereignty had been respected. What do you hope that people will learn from today? Um, I'm hoping that they will get a, uh, they won't learn everything today. What they'll, what all they're going to get is their eyes open to, uh, to what actually happened. 
but I also noticed that there, there there's uh I just listened to the news this morning about um about how um uh, the Winnipeg school division is trying to incorporate um the residential school stuff into their curriculum so uh, I'm hoping that that's the, they're going to start that, but also we want to invite people to come to the museum and listen listen to the stories because it's not something that's the stories we're not going to share. We're going to share stories tomorrow, but these stories that we share, we share them during the tours. So we ask we we invite people to come to the museum, make an appointment, come and tour. And the, the, the survivors will be there and they will, t- and the survivor who's doing the tour will share their story with them. Some of them will be horrific and some of them won't be. Um, so that, that, that is one way of doing it. Also last week, um, I was, I, sir, I, I read this little news clipping and they interviewed this young girl from some school in Winnipeg. I forget the name of the school and she was being penalized by not standing up for O Canada during school. And they told, they made her get out of the classroom or something and she had to sit outside. And that's a prime example of the ignorance. Uh, I'm not talking about ignorance. I'm not, I'm not uh, in terms of not knowing what, what, the, what the history is behind why she's not standing for O Canada. And the, 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 the young girl, she's 16 years old, probably does not know the whole understanding of it, but she has enough understanding of it in order for her to make her point, to try and make her point. But she, she, she needs be, to be able to, I guess, she needs kind of assistance to get them to understand her viewpoint in terms that they can understand, but it's not something that can be done overnight. Um, so that's what we're hoping that we are going to, um, we are going to be able to uh, uh, open people's eyes. The people don't in Porters of Prairie, we invited, we, we, we wrote to every single church in Porters of Prairie. We invited them. We asked them for financial support out of the 19 churches that I, that I emailed Three of them responded back to me and three of them gave us a little financial support, which we're really grateful for because without that support, that orange day would not happen. So we, um, so we, uh, but we also invited all the other churches to come, come out. They don't know that they had a residential school in their very backyard. So that's, that's the first part of it is coming out, sharing uh, and learning and sharing what residential schools were all about for our listeners not located in manitoba um i know you mentioned how they can be educated where is the best place to find the best resources Um, for them and to to learn and to educate themselves uh you know i'm i'm assuming that orange shirt day is happening nationally all across canada because last year i couldn't make it my daughter got sick we ended up at the spending the day at the Seven Oaks Hospital, and they had their own little Orange Shirt Day commemoration there. And they're having it, and I'm assuming they're having it on in, in, in any any place else. If um, if they if people are are wanting to know, well, where to, where can I go, you know, for Orange Shirt Day? Um, ask them to Google and uh, Orange Shirt Day, and um, there's a lot of information there as to who is having what. 
And if people want to learn more about the National Indigenous Residential School Museum of Canada, how can they go about doing that? Um, they, they can Google that as well. We, have a, we actually have our website. It's going to be up to date. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, I just wanted to add that uh, in regards to this Indigenous sovereignty, which for me is, is a huge um, issue, um, that nobody is 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 focusing on. Nobody is trying to rectify it. I only have to say that that to the, for them to please uh, watch Rory's presentation, listen to it. His two days of presentation, he talks about it in great detail. People can understand where it's coming from and why. When you go down the streets of of uh, the, the, the the of Winnipeg, why are people are in such grave health and 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 they have all these addictions and they they don't understand they don't, all they say is why don't you straighten your act up and get a job you know they're in a vicious cycle it's like when you're in a vicious cycle of diabetes you don't know how to get out of it these people are in a vicious cycle they're trying to get out of it but they don't know how so you got to try if you understand the history behind why they're sitting on a street then you maybe have you don't have to help them out you just have to respect them and try and understand where it's coming from and and the people will and rory points that out in his presentation saying people today they will not take responsibility for what's happening today. They say, I was not there. I, that, I, I had nothing to do with that. I was not there when my ancestors signed this and that and did this and that. Well, they, who, if they don't, if the people of today do not, do not try and do something about it, who's going to do something about it? The people of today who say that it's not my, it's, I didn't have anything to do with it. They are the ones out there who are benefiting from what has ha- from what has happened to indigenous people, their lands taken away from them, everything taken away from them. They benef- they're benefiting it fr- benefiting from it today as we speak. So they got to do something about it. And that's why we want to educate the young people who are going to be the ones who are the leaders of this of, of this country eventually to that so that they can they in turn can straighten things out um so instead of instead of uh telling native people to just you know get over it treaties la- happened 300 years ago get over it get a job and we do have a lot of people ask me, like, are there any native lawyers around? There are a lot of native lawyers and firms around that. And, and, uh, which I didn't even, I didn't even know. So we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to educate people and then move on from there. But in order for the, for, uh, for us to educate people, we have to let them know, you know what, this kind of, it's a lot more complex than that in this country. Even in the treaty, treaty number treaties area, uh, I, I, it's it's a it's a it's it's a long story of telling people this very land that we sit on right now in the treaty one, our people never got compensated for it. It may not even be Canada part of Canada yet. This is what Rory talks about and explains why it may not be part of Canada yet, because we were never compensated for it. 
Yeah, they talk about, yeah, you surrendered the land and the treaty it says you centered, ceded, surrendered, blah, blah, blah. You get your $5 every single year. It's, yeah. not as, it's not as simple as that. Thank you for making time for us today. You're welcome. And remember, if you have the time today, if you have the opportunity to get out and about, check out one of the many events taking place in your community. Thank you so much for joining us today, Patricia. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.